Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps, an audio postcard from the fabulous Las Vegas Strip. I'm Stephen Maggi. In just a few days, we say goodbye to 2019. Do you have any plans for New Year's Eve? Well, if so, you'll probably want to pick up some champagne and the Vegas Golden Knights, that's right, the hockey team, can help. They've just entered into a partnership with Bourgeois Champagne, and they're recommending that you give it a try. You'll meet the folks from both Bourgeois and the Knights today. From there, we talk about the mob with someone who is an expert on the subject. You'll meet Tony Solano, former cop and author of the great new novel, The Case of Two in the Trunk. And as always, our regulars are here. Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com reminds us all that we can no longer drink all night for free on the casino floor, but in truth, it never was free. Scott will explain. Our real estate expert, Gady Madrano from TV's Flipping Vegas, talks to you about the importance of marketing when selling a home in today's market. The Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford, is back again. Do you worry about betting on a game that might be fixed? Michael addresses the issue and talks about betting on horse racing in the sports book. Finally, America's first master sommelier, Eddie Osterlin, is back once again with his look at celebrating New Year's Eve, and his thoughts on the subject might surprise you. The Vegas Golden Knights are used to winning, and sometimes that means champagne when you win various playoff series and so forth. They did it a couple of years ago, and they hope to do it again this year. And to do it right, you got to use the official champagne of the Vegas Golden Knights. That is Beaujois. With us today are the people that put together this interesting partnership between the Knights and Beaujois. The CEO of Beaujois is John Deidelbaum, the CEO. And with us also is Mike Mangello from the Vegas Golden Knights. He is the vice president of corporate partnerships and excited to have you both here. So how does a champagne become an official champagne of a 21st century major sports team? Well, I would say that it starts with the, one of the best brands and products that we always try to align ourselves with um, from our hockey club standpoint. So uh, <clears throat> that was one, and obviously always a key important uh, ingredient for us. And then more importantly, and we could talk a little bit about it. In fact, I'm not going to steal John's thunder on this, but it's uh, um, their brand in particular, uh, very much fitting to ours. It's like a, a perfect marriage yeah. in a sense because it's a, they actually have a, a trademark uh, name called Own the Night with the K, just like the Knights. Um, yeah, you did this before, so. right, John? I mean, this right. was before this. Uh, the we, Knights existed. We did this before the Knights were here. Uh, we're we're Vegas based, which is a great alignment for us. And uh, we had this brand that we created in Epernay, France, and and um, started the company here in Las Vegas. And we had this Own the Night tagline. Um, it was it's really about empowering consumers to own the night. Um, which is odd because then the Knights came and we were like, hey, this is serendipitous. Yeah, we now perfect. have a hockey team named after, you know, in conjunction with our brand. So it was terrific. And the right. bottles have the great look, right? Because they're wrapped in armor. So talk a little about what that looks like because it's just a perfect fit for this. The bottles are wrapped in a, in a, in a suit of armor. 
uh, that are, that's made of copper, and the copper keeps the product cold by itself, but obviously has an iconic decorative uh, look to it that I think stands out from most products that are in the marketplace in our in our category. And I think it fit really well with with the the aesthetics of what the Golden Knights have. You know, Mike, that's really true. When you think about the the whole country got excited in the Stanley Cup playoffs a couple of years ago where there'd be all these great shows. This just seems like a perfect fit. Well, it is, and certainly want to continue the uh, winning tradition since we've, uh, you know, we're the first, we're the only team right now that's uh, never not made the playoffs. So yeah, That's right. <laughs> we'll that's knock right. on wood somewhere around here. <laughs> um, so certainly with all that in mind, and, and John and I talked about this extensively, was that we wanted the brand to celebrate moments and uh, certainly... Moments, whether it's uh, achievements like we have uh, achieved in certain levels of whether it's, you know, Western Conference champions or um, winning a title would be ultimate, uh, obviously, like any team. But from our standpoint and with our owner, Bill Foley, that is, always, that is the commitment from day one. He wants us not – we don't want to be a one-and-done team. We want to be a dynasty team. So, therefore, aligning ourselves with a particular brand of champagne – like with bourgeois is, is something that's really critical for us because what we would see is that certain moments that will take place, we want their brand evident, you know, is a part of that celebratory moment. So we win a championship, we want their brand right in, involved with us. In and, and John, sparkling wines just kind of symbolize celebration, right? I mean, when you think about whatever it is, great moments and so forth, people are always thinking about champagne. That's right. I, I mean, champagne's about celebrating key moments in your life whether it's a victory or an anniversary or a birthday or, or getting a promotion, um, it just goes with, it's a celebratory product. It was actually created for the King of France for his birthday um, hundreds of years ago. So it, it, it has that symbolism already built in and I think uh, goes well with a winning team like, like the Golden Knights. Well, tell us a little about how you came to own this. This is really interesting. You get the grapes from France and so forth. You went for a high-quality product. How do you get into it? Because it's not an easy game. Wines are a lot of people like to have them for fun. But when you get really serious about it, you got to really know your stuff. It's champagne in particular. Well, champagne is a very, very uh, closed market. Um, I would say that being an entrepreneur and getting into champagne is difficult. Um, But we have been in the alcohol beverage business for 20 years. Um, my wife and I decided to do something that we thought couldn't be done, um, and we created Beaujois. Beaujois is French for beautiful joy. Her middle name is Joy, so it was a great homage to her. Um, but I think that what we wanted to do is bring, create a very unique brand experience from the aesthetics of our product on the outside to the fact that our champagne has no sugar added. And we're all about experiences, and I, and I don't think that there's a team in professional sports today that's delivering an experience as unique and as turbocharged as the Golden Knights. More with John Dietelbaum, President and CEO of Toast Spirits, and Mike Mangello, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships for the Vegas Golden Knights, in just a moment. Time now for your Vegas insider, Scott Robin, of VitalVegas.com. Today, Scott takes a look at a longtime Vegas perk that isn't handled in the same way anymore. This time, Scott thinks it's not a case of nickel and diming the customer. We talked a little about MG, MGM 2020, but the concept of no free drinks, which you're seeing less and less of that, boy, that's another thing that annoys people because you've been coming here for years. That was always something you could count on. 
Uh, yeah, I'm in denial about it. Um, so you can still get free drinks. Well, let's, let's put it this way. You never could. They were never really free. You didn't pay for them at the time you were drinking the drink, but you were gambling. Gambling paid for everything. So you can still get free drinks. Some of the conditions of the free drinks have changed. Uh, and pretty much across the board now, uh, say at a video poker bar, your drink consumption is gonna to correlate to your play, your play on the machines. Uh, on the floor of the casino, it's a little more fast and loose, but the service has gotten a lot slower. Part of that has to do with just a practical matter. Uh, it's, it is the cost of giving people free drinks, but it's also they don't want to overserve you. So the general rule is that you'll get a free drink about every 20 minutes. I think people have fond memories of Vegas where you would just come and sit down and just drink nonstop. And there was no pace that that was served. There was no rules. It was just, if you looked like you were gambling, you were getting a drink. So now they're watching. Uh, they will have monitors on the machines from time to time, a red light, green light system. Some will have vouchers. Uh, sometimes the bartenders will just, they'll watch it. Uh, you have to be playing. And to me, that's completely reasonable. Uh, that you're not gonna get something for nothing. It's the real world. These businesses have to stay in business. And I think people were very upset, as was I early on. What are you doing monitor my, mo monitoring my drinks? And then I realized, well, that's because people come in and put a dollar in the machine and order a beer. And they think they're gonna drink unlimited drinks because they have a dollar in that machine. It's just not realistic. Uh, and those people are taking up spaces where gamblers could be sitting. So I'm, uh, I'm a little on the casino side on this one now because I think what it's done is it's created a situation where you at least know what you have to do to get the drink. Uh, for, because for a while, it was kind of a mystery they didn't tell people about the monitoring systems. They didn't tell you uh, that it would correlate to your loyalty club card, which it does at Park MGM now. You have to have a loyalty club card to get a comp drink. Uh, they didn't tell you all that, and at least now they're more forthright about it. And uh, so you can still get free drinks. You, it's just they're a little more particular about it, and that seems completely reasonable to me. I can't even get mad. Scott will be back again next week. Remember to check out VitalVegas.com every day. When it comes to Vegas, Scott is simply the best source for inside information. More with John Diedelbaum, President and CEO of Toast Spirits, and Mike Mangello, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships for the Vegas Golden Knights, in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to John Dietelbaum, President and CEO of Toast Spirits, and Mike Mangello, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships for the Vegas Golden Knights. And everyone says it around the country. They're like, I, I, yeah. went, to, I went to Vegas and I went to hockey. Oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. It was like, it was Vegas-style hockey. You know, which I get a kick out of. No, it's really true. And Mike, again, it seemed like you had to get something kind of special based on this. People now expect it. They come there. They want the big entertainment show. These games are events, which really Johnny Greco deserves an amazing amount of credit for putting that together. And as, as what you do, and you guys do a lot of special partnerships, which I find interesting. Are you always kind of looking for that? Is that an important part of who you're searching out for those partnerships, somebody that can kind of fit that mold? 
Yeah, no, listen, when we, I was here from the beginning, really starting the franchise from ground zero. And what we set out to do um, was certainly identifying top categories like a lot of major league clubs go through. And when you build this out, it's kind of like, okay, well, what are some iconic brands? But you need to talk to everybody in a particular category just to make sure that's the right fit because we, we're not going to do anything that's necessarily traditional, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's what really has separated us as an organization. And you mentioned Greco and his team. The entertainment group is an incredible job, but that's the point. What we did, even with Bourgeois, was that we wanted, it's not just about a brand and just you know having that recognition. It's about integrating the brand. So what we look for, um, specifically with Bourgeois, was that why don't we take the brand and now let's create this incredible moment. So we'll, we're going to identify, um, like we just did about a week ago, um, a, a husband and wife that were celebrating their 50th anniversary. So what we did is we brought our night down and we, we, we created this moment, the celebratory moment presented by Bourgeois, and we, we made it pretty spectacular. And that's the whole thing is that it's whatever we do, we want to have it very strategically kind of aligned, no different than Cirque du Soleil was one of our very early partnerships. And we knew that they're an iconic brand themselves, but at the same time, um, you know, they have all these shows that are in Las Vegas, but they have all this talent and we wanted the talent to be a part of our experience, our fan experience that you're, you know, that you're referencing. That's basically the envy of, of all major league sports because I know Cirque du Soleil has been approached by many major league teams, including our soon-to-be uh, uh, neighbors, uh, the uh, Las Raiders. Vegas Raiders. <laughs> yes. Well, this is definitely a 21st century marketing. And, you know, getting back to you, uh, John, sugar-free. Now, I didn't know, or not sugar-free, but no sugar added, I should Correct. say. Is that something that normally happens? People add sugar to this? That, that kind of surprised me, and yet it seems really 21st century because people are trying to get away from that. So at the end of the champagne process, when they remove the yeast from the wine, they add a, a dosage of sugar to give it its taste profile or to even out the product. And we felt that where we're heading as, as, as consumers and, and, and as people who are more health conscious, but still like to uh, indulge in luxury alcohol beverages to get, have as little sugar as possible and still have an amazing taste profile was important to us. Um, and I th- and it's and it's really something that we've hung our hat on, and it's a thread within the fabric of our brand now. Well, let's talk about how people can get this champagne because we really want this. It's a beautiful bottle. It's a great vintage. Where do we find it? And for people that are outside of the area, how can they get some? Well, for if you're outside of Las Vegas, you can go to your local retailers. We're carried nationwide on our website, which is www.bourgeoischampagne.com. You can buy the product. And then let's spell that for him too. Because it's B E A U J O I E, the gotcha. word champagne.com. And uh, also with Mike and their partners, like in Vegas, like Mr. Lee's, um, who's Lee's Liquor is great. They are all over town here and a great place to get stuff. And they've been with you from right from the start. 
pretty close. Yes. <laughs> hey, Mike, what else are you guys looking for? You guys are always looking for partnerships. I mean, always a great group looking. to organize. With. <laughs> so they get a hold of you if they have some great idea that fits with the the Knights? Yeah, they can get a hold of our you know corporate sponsorship uh, group, but uh, certainly, or myself, and, and uh, we're here to uh, certainly make dreams come true in terms of amplifying your brand. So, yeah. Well, thank you both. It's been great. We can't wait to go have some bubbly. And in the meantime, you always follow the nights all year long. And if you listen to Vegas Never Sleeps, we talk about them quite a bit. So thanks, guys. Appreciate thank it. You. It's time now for Luxury Living Vegas Style, featuring the star of TV's Flipping Vegas, Gady Medrano. We know you're a great realtor, and it's really important because it, it makes such a huge difference. So let's put our minds now as for we're selling property and so forth. Talk about how important marketing is. And by marketing, I mean, I don't just mean, you know, advertising, getting out in the right places, but, you know, how you, you set the home, how it looks and so forth. That's huge. People just don't even understand how huge that is. It's not even in a seller's market. You can't just put it on the MLS, do some ads, and wait for lightning to strike. That's that's not going to get you top dollar, and sometimes it won't even get it sold. I'm actually experiencing this with an agent that the home really needs a, needs some paint. It needs it needs to be looking better and. It, and it would sell and it's sitting on the market and we're in a seller's market. So that says a lot about what you're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no excuse for you. <laughs> but, but, but the fundamentals have to always be there in selling something for top dollar. Just spend a little money on paint, have someone come in, handle some of those rooms that look outrageous and are far too specific because sometimes a buyer will walk in and they don't have the imagination or they're just turned off. And, and a property that can actually fit their needs and is perfectly priced and is all those things. But once you turn a buyer off, it's really difficult to get them back it, it, looking at it and, and certainly not, you know, to pay top dollars. So you have to really present it well. You have to really show the features and you have to present, I hate to say it, but you got to show them the dream, show them what it would be like to live in this wonderful home. Because to me, there's a home for everybody. So it's just a matter of showcasing it to the right buyer. You can see Gady on Flipping Vegas on the DIY Network, and you can bring her on to help you with your move to, from, or in Las Vegas. Contact her at GadyRealEstate.com. It's almost 2020, and if you have getting in shape as one of your resolutions, have I got a program for you. And this program will help you achieve your goals without costing you an arm and a leg. It's time to check out Beachbody On Demand. They got many options to address your individual needs that are both affordable and effective. Check it out by simply emailing Christine at fitfab2020 at gmail.com. That's Beachbody On Demand. Email is fitfab2020 at gmail.com. If you love Vegas history, then you're going to love our next guest. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the BizTalk Radio Network. Open calendar. What's my schedule looking like? Next Thursday, you will be caught in an emergency flash flood between Park and First Street. What? No, no, that, that doesn't work. I'm, I'm busy then. Decline. De- decline. Floods don't exactly work around your schedule. Disasters don't plan ahead, but you can. It starts with talking to your loved ones about making an emergency plan. So don't wait. Communicate. Get started today at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. There's okay. nothing like Las Vegas and the mob. And when you talk about the mob in Vegas, it's always of interest. Wherever it is, people love this sort of thing. And we're going to talk to somebody who actually dealt with the mob from the police side. His name is Tony Solano. He's also got a fantastic book that would make great winter reading in Las Vegas, The Case of Two in the Trunk, A Sergeant Markey Mystery. And we're going to talk about that book, too. But, Tony, welcome. So... You're one of those people that had to face people like John Gotti. Uh, do you get kind of immune to that? Because I, I just hear it and I'm afraid. Well, I, I think you're not really immune to it. I mean, you, you always have to be aware who you're dealing with. But, you know, they're, they're people just like everybody else. I mean, you know, uh, the old saying, you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I, I think if, if you go into it with that philosophy, you'll, you're generally okay. Organized crime has its own sets of rules and so forth, right? And uh, I guess in your job on the good guy side, you kind of have to know how that works, right? Because that's the key to uh, really finding out what you need to know and uh, stopping what you're trying to stop. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think, you know, police work is funny, especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, gangster cases. Um, you, <laughs> you actually have to think a little bit like they do. And, and the more the more capable you are of doing that, the easier it is. It's a lot harder to learn how to think like a wise guy rather than it coming naturally. And that really has to do with how you're brought up and, you know, the environment you're brought up in. Yeah, it makes me think of the movie Goodfellas, right? And there's a lot of truth to that, right? The way Because these people were brought up to kind of feel like it was a special society. I mean, it was actually in some neighborhoods looked as a real positive if you could be in that world. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, it was a positive based on fear, but nevertheless, and you know, it was sort of a positive role model because they, you know, they gained a lot of respect from from the local people, regardless what they were doing. And again, it was a, it was sort of a fear-induced respect. Yeah. So it's fear. We get back to fear, and I always think for the police. It's an interesting position because you can't buy into that too much, or you wouldn't be able to do anything. And yet. You're trying to think like them. So how do you get to the point that you want to do that kind of thing? Because it takes a certain type of person. I mean, it, it goes back to the days of the untouchables. It does take a certain type of mentality and a certain type of ethic to really want to fight these people. Well, that's right. And it, and it, and it takes – there are different degrees of, of capability in dealing with the mob. Now, I, I know from my own perspective, I mean, I could plot and plan and, 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 and create uh, scenarios that would help me build a case against – against the mobster um but that would be a far cry from me going undercover and you know uh, sitting in their houses and having dinner with them and meeting their family and then uh you know informing on them and creating a case i, I don't think i could do that i mean joe pisson did a marvelous job uh you know as donnie brasco and and you know, he's a very special guy. I, I would say very, very few people could do what he did. People wanted me to ask you. I, t I told some folks that are regular listeners that we were going to have you on, and they said, was there anything special about that, you know, coming from, you know, obviously you have an Italian surname. Is there something about that? Because you know, there's that whole history of that. I know growing up as an Italian person, people would, I would ask me if I knew anybody in the mob, and it was just it was sort of insulting. It, and, I, and I think it's one of those things where it's a kind of uh, – like, it's almost an offense to your ethnicity, the fact that you have to deal with folks that uh, kind of put a bad light on uh, our backgrounds? No, I, I never looked at it like that. Actually, I looked at it as an advantage because, remember, I told you everything is done, you know, through fear. That's where their power is based. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And and if you're dealing with people, if they think that you you're something to be feared, it makes it a lot easier in communicating with them. And, and I'm not saying it's something that that you want to really necessarily exploit, but it it certainly doesn't hurt when you're questioning someone. Let's talk about John Gotti because of all the names, and you've been, you've had all the big hitters here. I'm looking at you know 1990s and on, but Gotti's the one that everybody knows. What was he like? I mean, aside from being a very uh, good dresser, what was this guy like? Well, I think John Gotti was a very, um, a very special kind of a of a guy. I mean, he had what I would have to say was was leadership qualities. And and uh, and I and I say that only because of the people that he had following him, and and that transcended uh, just fear because they were all scary guys. Right. Um, but he was he was a leader, and 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 it, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, the business with the uh, the homicide of Paul Castellano when they when they killed him in in, uh, in front of Sparks Steakhouse. I mean, for him to get these these major racketeers to join him in that kind of an endeavor. Um, they, they, no, they're not going to follow a dope. I mean, they're going to follow somebody that they respect and who's smart and who's intelligent and who they think that they could, uh, you know, yeah. that they could follow. Well, and, and you know, it's called organized crime for a reason, right? I mean, yeah. somebody at that side, they got to be a good business leader too. I mean, he basically was the CEO of this big operation. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, he, he gets sort of a bad rap now, I guess, because the, the family was in great jeopardy because of the uh, the ability of law enforcement to, to do some serious damage to the mob. Um, but uh, when he became the boss, the way I understood it was, uh, you know, whatever was due him, he took, you know. <laughs> well, you know, when you see a show like The Sopranos that's yeah. kind of in recent memory, Number one, are they fairly accurate in your mind? And number two, is it just an idea? Is there a lot of these people still running around? Some people don't even think of the mob anymore. Of course, back in the, you know, in the twentieth century, particularly in the Depression, uh, they ran a lot of cities and so forth. Is it still like that, or is it more defined? How do you see where organized crime is today? Well, I, I I think it's still out there. I I just think what they've done is they've reverted back to the way they used to be, sort of under the radar. I mean, you know, they're in the eighties and the seventies, eighties and nineties. You know, there was a big body count. Uh, you know, with the gangsters, they were killing each other all the time, and that generally draws attention to to an organization. Uh, that, that a lot of that doesn't go on now, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not out there. Interesting, yeah. And you know, you must see here in Las Vegas. They ran the town for a while, and then suddenly it just kind of it, it switched to a corporate type thing. Some people liked it better when it was run by the mob because uh, things were cheaper and it was all around gambling, and now it's uh, make money any way you can. But uh, is that a case where Vegas was just too high profile in, in the sense that you know everybody's looking at it, even the entertainers were involved with it? Was it, was it one of those things where they've kind of gone, as you kind of say, not underground, but they're a little, little less obvious. Well, again, yeah, I, I, I would think. I mean, look, they were high profile, you know, um, at, at the time when they were skimming the money out of the casinos and all of that. Um, and, and quite frankly, who knows what goes on in those casinos? I mean, we wouldn't know whether uh, whether there's skimming going on or not. Um, they, they didn't know what was going on, uh, you, you know, thirty or forty years ago. Um, they're, they're, they're just more circumspect now than they used to be. Now, I'm not saying that that's going on. I, I don't know. But I would not underestimate their ability to, to take advantage of situations. 
More with Tony Solano, author of the novel The Case of Two in the Trunk, in just a few moments. Time now for statistician, actuary, and expert in gaming odds and probabilities, the Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford. And when it comes to betting sports, there are some things you simply can't control. Michael says sometimes that's nothing to worry about. Nobody really is, suspects anymore somebody throwing a game or shaving points. You just don't see much of that anymore, right? Because there's so many protections out there. Because I think all these leagues realize if they could really ever prove that the game's in big trouble. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that... I haven't seen any evidence that this is actively going on. Maybe in college sports... Maybe it happens a little bit, but you as a recreational player just aren't going to know about it. So I think that that is just as likely to help you as hurt you. So, yeah, I wouldn't enter that into your calculus. Last question before we leave the sports book. Horse racing. You know, you can bet on almost any horse race that's going on in the world. And I know some people really watch out to the point where they know who all the trainers are. They know the jockeys and so forth. Is it a good place to do it or should you just wait till you get out to a track somewhere? With the win place and show bets, they take out 17% juice at most tracks, and that is a huge amount of juice to overcome. Nevertheless, I know there's a ton of statistics about every single race, and in my opinion, I don't think it's a viable advantage play. I'm sure there are some people out there who will say, I've figured out how to do it. I personally don't know of anyone who has beaten horse racing, but I would say the same thing that I said about sports betting. If you get enjoyment out of studying horse racing to death and get enjoyment in gambling on it, go ahead. You know, I, I wouldn't, again, leave your day job to do that. But, yeah, it's, it's not something that I think is a, is a good form of gambling for the average player. The Wizard returns again next week with more advice. Hey, if you love great punk rock music, you need to hear our own Hollis Jade's great group, The Love Zombies. And now you can get both Love Zombies albums, Passion Fruit and No Slow Songs, live at Abbey Road at their website, lovezombiesentertainment.com. You can also get Hollis's solo EP, Strange World, great merchandise including t-shirts and handmade items and more. Go to www.lovezombiesentertainment.com for all of this and more. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Today's show is brought to you in part by the Orleans Hotel and Casino, the best deal in Vegas. Great rooms and dining at an incredible price. Call for reservations or make them online at orleanscasino.com and tell them you heard it on Vegas Never Sleeps. You are listening to Tony Solano, former cop and author of the novel The Case of Two in the Trunk. First of all, you got to be happy. I was looking at some of the reviews. Everybody likes it, and you know that's unusual these days. Well, let me tell you, I, I'm surprised by those reviews myself. <laughs> and when I wrote this, I, you know, I, you know, I had a business, and I, I in Midtown, I had a security company after I retired, investigative firm. And then after that retirement, I said I have to do something, so I decided to, to start these Sajamaki things. And as I as I wrote that. You know, every page I'm saying, gee, I don't want to offend anyone, so you, you're very careful, you know, in, in what you're writing. 
Oh, it's fantastic. Folks, you're going to love this book. First of all, before we even, and I want to talk a little about what happens in the book, but has anybody approached you either from the world of television or film? Because it just seems like a natural to me. Well, there was a guy that, that uh, he was a producer, and he, he's, uh, he liked it very, very much, and he, he, took, a, he took it to, uh, to you know, one of the people that, that puts on these shows. And uh, I was told now it's a question of waiting. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I think they'd be uh, smart to grab it up because people just love this stuff. And your, your story is rich because there's so many facets to it, which I find interesting. First of all, tell us about this guy, Joe Horse. Okay, he's got a problem, right? <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe Horse is a, uh, <clears throat> is a drug addict and he's a drug dealer and he happens to be successful at what he does. And the book basically starts out where he finds, where he has two deceased women in his living room, and he doesn't know what to do to get rid of them. Yeah, and that's a real problem. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, you're on probation. Right. Now, the guy, I love the uh, the guy from uh, The Detective. He's a really corrupt guy. His name is Fishnet Milligan. You made him really an interesting character. Is that based on people you dealt with, or, or is it anybody in particular? Or how did you come up with him? Well, it's interesting. Every character is a, is a sort of a composite of about 10 different people. And so what you do is you take, what I did anyways, I took traits of, of maybe half a dozen, 10 people, and I, I, I put them into one character, and boom, I've got Fishnet Milligan. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's cool. I mean, because he's got all sorts of problems, but on the other hand, he's pretty effective too, so he's kind of an interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a little bit of a Fishnet in all of us, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that could, that could be. And then, uh, again, the relations, this is how interesting this book is, the relations to those dead women you were talking about, one's a mafia assassin, and then the other is completely different. Uh, again, is, is that something you came across where, I'm guessing, you found places where sometimes people were really involved and other people were caught up in something that, that you'd never imagined they were part of? That's right, that's right. Well, you know, people, people come from you know, different places in life, and, and some people will have a problem and they'll readily acknowledge that problem. And then you have other people that, uh, hey, look, if I were to bang on the piano and, and make noise, one father would say to their son, um, um, stop making a racket. Another father will hear the same noise and say to his son, there's my boy, the virtuoso. You know, so yeah. <laughs> it comes from both angles, and I tried to capture that in the personalities of the family of the two deceased women. This whole thing is a great one of these great suspenseful books. Uh, and uh, I got the feeling as I went through it, that, like, wow, you could tell this is from somebody who's actually lived this. And I think that really comes through. Is that what you tried to put in the book, you know, to kind of really let them know how it feels to be involved in these things? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I did. And, and there are personalities and people have different personalities. And I, and I tried to capture that. You know, when I started uh, doing this, I, I, I and I was a big reader of you know James Kane and 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 uh, Dashiell Hammett and, and all mm -hmm. of those guys and Earl DeBiggers from Charlie Chan, but none of them were cops. And I said I, I have to be able to tell a story with a little more authenticity in, in in some respects. You know everything. I think a lot of times people get caught up on the complex, and and sometimes a lot of these crimes aren't all that complex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I, I got the idea. It had a different feel to it where, you know, it, it wasn't trying to be too clever in the sense of coming up with all sorts of bizarre things. But yet there's a lot going on and you just kind of feel like 
you're kind of going through like some of these really great television shows that they've done where they really get into police work. I got a feel of kind of that, but a little different than just working in, uh, you know, in, in a, a police office or something like that. You got a little bit more of that underworld feel. I, I just, uh, I really like that. It's, and I, and I, and I'm guessing because of these reviews, you're getting people that like it. You said you had some person that was in the underworld that kind of said, Hey, I like this. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he liked it, which made me feel pretty good because at least it, it was, it was coming from an authentic place. You know, it, it was credible. And, and I thought that that was important because I was trying to capture some credibility. Well, the book is called The Case of Two in the Trunk, a Sergeant Markey mystery. First of all, Tony, where do we get it? You get it on Amazon. Okay. It's, it's on Amazon. And you got more of these in, uh, you know, you're a good writer. Do you have more of these ready to go in your mind? Well, well actually, I got the second one almost finished. And I, 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 I need to uh, get it edited, of course. And, and uh, yeah, no, I'm going to do these as long as I'm capable of doing it. That's terrific, and we will have you on again when that next one comes out. But in the meantime, go get the case of two in the trunk. Hey, Tony, thanks so much for being with us. Really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you, Steve. It's my pleasure. Eddie Osterlin, America's first master sommelier, is back again. Are you ready to party on New Year's Eve? The master suggests this is not the time to bring out your best bubbly. New Year's, okay? Everybody thinks champagne. What are your thoughts for New Year's Eve ringing in the new year? Yeah, everybody thinks champagne and New Year's, and uh, I'll tell you what I think about that. Um, you should definitely use sparkling wine because that's what people expect. Uh, I don't really recommend that you use champagne. Champagne meaning the real stuff from Champagne, the town in France. Why? It's very expensive. That's okay, except that most people at New Year's are going ballistic at the, by the time they crack the bottle, and everybody's hooting and hollering and maybe shaking it, spilling it around. So you want to drink stuff that's $20 or less, you know, maybe even 10 So what do you get? You get from Spain, you get something called Cava, C-A-V-A. From Italy, you've got Prosecco. Uh, from, from Germany, you've got something called Zect, S-E-K-T. From Italy, you've got Franciacorta. What I'm just saying is you should go to your, your store and have, a, have a, a, a goal for yourself. I'm not spending more than $22 on a bottle of sparkling wine because people are just in a celebratory feeling, but they're not tasting, they're drinking. So don't open an expensive wine at midnight. You're crazy. Thanks, Eddie, and thank you for joining us in 2019. We'll be back in 2020 bringing you the very best Vegas has to offer. Next week, you'll meet perhaps the greatest singing impersonator of all times, Bob Anderson. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great weekend. This is Stephen Mangy reminding you, Vegas never sleeps.